You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Welcome back to our Byzantine Gospel Reflection here for the third Sunday after the Holy Cross. And we'll be following a theme today of the mercy of God, the great mercy of God, and in a particular way to talk about mercy in a very incarnational way and in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's jump right in here to Luke chapter 7. We're in Luke chapter 7. Uh, I want to say hello to all our, our uh, Bible study friends out there uh, in San Diego, Father Peter down in Phoenix, Bishop Nicholas, and uh, make sure you guys get your Bibles out, none of this cell phone Bible study, Mm-mm-mm. Luke chapter 7, <laughs> Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 11, Luke chapter 7, verse 11 uh, through 16. At that time, it came to pass that Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large gathering from the town was with her. And the Lord, seeing her, had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. And he went up and touched the stretcher, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to thee, Arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he gave him to his mother. But fear seized upon all. And they began to glorify God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Father Sebastian, uh, as we usually do, uh, remind us of where we are in the story of the gospel of Luke and the greater uh, story of the gospel in general. We are in the middle of the Galilean ministry, approximately. It's, it's difficult to know exactly where because this is one of the stories that is only in Luke's gospel. It's not in Matthew and Mark, so we don't have a lot to compare it with. But if we look at Luke's narrative of his Galilean ministry, we're right there in the middle. And it's in this city of Nain, which is still known today. It's south of Nazareth, south of Nazareth, the Galilean city, but in the southern part of, of Galilee. You know, um, as we as we hear this story, I think there's, there could be a tendency that, you know, just this is one more, one more uh, um, uh, miracle of Jesus. You know, he goes around and he's driving out the demons and, and walking on water and healing the paralytic. And now he, he raises this guy. But this is a, a particularly important um, uh, moment in his ministry in that he, number one, he raises this boy from the dead, but it's also kind of a, a double miracle. It's easy. We focus upon the boy and he's risen and now the problem is solved. But I say it's, a, it's kind of a double miracle because Jesus has come to minister not only to the boy, in fact, not primarily to the boy. 
In fact, he's come, and the what he what he encounters here in this in in this moment is not only a boy, a dead boy being carried to his grave, um, but but we we learn if we're paying attention that Jesus is struck not with the dead boy, but with this woman who's standing there. And the, the gospel tells us something very important that we could almost kind of like just miss out on. And that is that this is not only her boy, but it's her only boy. And she's a widow. And I wonder if you could give us a little, maybe a little insight into that in, a, in the context of the society at that time, what it meant to be a widow and then to lose your only son. You know, today, I, mean, I think even today, someone can, can hear in the story a major tragedy. You've got a widow and her only son, and now he's dead. Who will take care of her in her, whole, her old age? Who will you know, uh, make sure she has her groceries and pays her bills, her electric bill. But there's much more going on here. It's, it's much more dramatic than it would, than it would be for our, in our society. In that ancient world, in that part of the world, a woman's legal standing in the society was dependent upon a near of kin man. And that would be first, as she was a child, that would be her father. Her father was her legal representative. If anything happened to her in the village, if, anything, if anyone wronged her or did anything, then they would have to answer to her father. And in the courts, he would, or at the, at the gate of the city with the elders, he would be her representative. But her father is, is long dead. She's been married and she's had children. So men didn't live that long back then. So her father's long gone. Her husband is her next, a woman's next representation at the city gate or in whatever case is the husband. But the husband's now gone. And they always rejoiced when they had a firstborn son. And sometimes people think this is sexist or, but the reason is, is because they prayed and they hoped that the first child that would come out of that womb after a marriage was a son. Because it was the boy who would grow up then and be old enough before dad finally died, before this woman's husband died, that could then care for his mother. And also then take responsibility for the household and the inheritance without a male to protect that house, that piece of land. Only a woman? Who knows what could happen? The neighbors could start encroaching on the land. Who's going to stop them? The, there's no one to defend her. And in the end, where is she going to find any, any uh, support financially? Where is she going to get food? So in this situation, this woman would end up as either, she'd either end up on the street eventually or uh, as a slave or as a prostitute. And so Jesus walks into this situation, a massive tragedy. Her father's dead, her husband's dead, and now her son is dead. There's a lot of death going on. And he, the author of life, comes in to change all that. You know, I have, I have I'm glad you finished there with, with this, this point about the author of life, because really this gospel text is, we can say, is the reason why the 
eternal word of God became man. Uh, and that is to confront death in some sense, to confront this, this, uh, this burial procession taking place, to stop it in its tracks and to reverse that, that, uh, that procession. Um, St. Ephraim the Syrian says so beautifully, I just have to share this because it's, it's just, it gives us much to meditate upon when we're looking at this text. Because when in the gospel it says that Jesus, uh, that this, he entered the town and the, there's a large gathering, he says, and the Lord seen, not the dead boy, the Lord seen her, had compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. And this is what uh, St. Ephraim says, the virgin son met the widow's son. He became like a sponge for her tears and as life for the death of her son. St. Cyril of Alexandria goes on. He says, the dead man was being buried and many friends were conducting him to his tomb. Christ, the life and resurrection meets him there. He is the destroyer of death and of corruption. He is the one in whom we live and move and are. He is, he it is who has restored the nature of man. How important that is because he is coming to give not only to bring life back to this boy, but now to allow him, as we're going to see in the epistle text, as we're looking at this, as he does with each and every one of us uh, through our holy baptism, to give us a new way of life. It's very important that we realize that we recognize who Jesus is as the giver of life and then who we are made in his image and likeness. Uh, he it is who restored the nature of man to that which it originally was and has set free our death-fraught flesh from the bonds of death. He had mercy upon the woman and that her tears might be stopped. He commanded saying, weep not. And immediately the cause of her weeping was done away with. So Jesus in some sense comes and he, he, there's two miracles that take place, of course, interrelated. But he comes to minister to this woman by granting life to her son. And in the moment, as you're saying, granting life to her son, he, he grants a possibility of the hope of, of life is now restored to her, the one who had lost hope. Um, and and in this in this moment, that's why I began with mercy, uh, this theme of mercy. In this in this moment, uh, God's merciful love is made present incarnationally in the resurrection of this boy. Um, I, I read a nice little a nice little definition of mercy recently that mercy is love in action. God is love. Saint John tells us. And now he comes to bestow that love. He comes to fulfill his very mission here in the life of this woman and the life of this boy. So important, again, because we are made in his image and likeness. And if we are to know what it means to have a restored nature, as, as, as Cyril of Alexandria states, then we have to always reflect back upon what the nature of the one who has, to come to re, who has come to restore it is. And that nature is always life-giving. Our nature as Christians must be nothing less than that. What Jesus does in the Gospels tells us what we are meant to do, and that is to be the incarnation of God's great mercy, the incarnation of, uh, of, of love in action. 
that everything I do is to grant to the other the possibility of attaining eternal life. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.